community activists, faith-based organizations, encur encouraging academics to translate their research into policy that will change people's lives. And as we head into the new year, we're going to be conducting our own research that looks at how we can build healthier communities for everyone and how our economy, which is currently in a profound crisis, can be reshaped uh, to a broader purpose. And we want to draw upon that that energy that brought tens of thousands of people, many of them for the first time, into the public debate about the future of this city, of this region, and of our country. And we are based here in Los Angeles, the Horizon Institute, for a simple reason. And that's because some of the most pressing problems that we face are glaringly apparent here. But also some of the people that are engaging in solutions, whether through the sharing of ideas or actions, are also based here. And as uh, President-elect Barack Obama said uh, this week when he was announcing his green dream team, what starts in California often moves across the country. So the Horizon Institute will be putting forward new ideas about how we can work together to build a different kind of economy, an economy that does not surrender to that tired old axiom that a clean environment and a thriving economy cannot coexist. So we're very, very honored to have our wonderful guests here today, Nancy Sutley, Van Jones, Mary Nichols. And I also wanted to thank some of the organizations that helped make this event possible. The Los Angeles County Federation of Labor, IBEW Local 11, United Teachers of Los Angeles, SEIU Local 721. Uh, I think we should make those new green jobs and the new green economy middle class union jobs. And really this, this, this alignment of labor and environmentalists is, is indicative of a, of a new paradigm, I guess. And it's going to be a critical component to how we transform this, this country. I sincerely believe that. I think our speakers today will reinforce that. We're also supported by the Los Angeles Community College District Foundation. I think we have some of our students here. And uh, one of the other hats that I wear is, is as a trustee of the Community College District, and I have to brag a little bit. We're building 50 to 60 new buildings, all under LEED's gold or platinum standard. And, and we're developing a green uh, curriculum so that these students that are here with us today can lead, lead the charge and move into those new jobs in the green economy. Our first uh, speaker this afternoon is Nancy Sutley. Nancy is currently Deputy Mayor for Energy and Environment and leading uh, Mayor Villaraigosa's uh, move to green the city. And as most of you know, uh, and the nation found out earlier this week, Nancy has been chosen by Barack Obama to lead his White House Council on Environmental Quality. This will be... This will obviously be a big loss for Los Angeles, but it's going to be a major gain for our nation. Nancy. Uh, 
today I don't have the uh, soon to be president of the United States moving a little step over so I can <laughs> see over the podium, which was a very nice gesture, but a very, that's one of those things. I'm like, what do I do now? <laughs> ah! So, um, thank you all, and thank you, Kelly, for the kind introduction, and, and thank you to uh, the Center for American Progress and the Horizon Institute for, for sponsoring this uh, event and bringing us all together today. I think it's a great opportunity to talk uh, about a subject I think that's very much on not only the nation's mind, but certainly here um, in the city of Los Angeles. The, the question of the green economy and what it means and how do we take advantage of it and create it and, and use it as a, an opportunity to create, to create good jobs for uh, people and to create a, a more sustainable future uh, for our city and for our nation. And uh, it really is a, a, a moment in, in our history and a moment in our time to talk about you know, what's really possible, not just to um, dream about these things, but really uh, find out what's possible and what we can do what we can do working together. So I've had the privilege for the last three years to be part of Mayor Viragosa's team working to transform Los Angeles uh, to the greenest and cleanest big city in America. And uh, I always get an interesting reaction to, to that statement because you know, Los Angeles is a city uh, more associated with smog and sprawl, although today it looks very pretty with snow in the mountains. And we also you know, can't talk about the economic conditions that are facing us, about economic development and job creation and transportation and housing and education reforms and the issues that affect this city and everybody who lives in it without including a discussion on the environment and on sustainability because I think that, that as Angelinos we embrace this notion of wanting to make our city more sustainable and wanting to make our future more sustainable. Here in Los Angeles the mayor is squarely focused on building the green economy and this green economy is now really at the center of our environmental priorities and at the center of our economic strategies. And it offers us a, a double bottom line to improve the environment and create jobs for Angelinos. And too often in the past, we've heard the economy and the environment pitted against each other, that you'd lose jobs if you improve the environment, and if we grow our economy, we'll make the environment worse. But I think that we really have entered a period where people recognize that people can work together across their sort of traditional silos to, to, do, to do both, to both grow our economy uh, and improve our environment. So here in Los Angeles, we're well on our way to um, realizing our environmental vision and making our green dream a reality. And the centerpiece of our work has been our Green LA plan. It was a plan to, to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions by 35% by the year 2030. But, it, but contained within that are 
initiatives to, to green our utility, to green the Department of Water and Power, to make it more reliant on renewable energy. And we're making a lot of progress there. Um, we've reached 10% renewable energy at TWP. And we're on track to get 35% of our power from renewable sources by 2020. And just three years ago, DWP only got 2% of its power from renewable resources. And that's just the first step. The Green LA plan is a comprehensive, multifaceted plan that is trying to take advantage of the innovation that's available in this region. And that we think that there's the um, creativity and the intelligence in this region to tackle this greatest challenge of our time. We've adopted a private sector green building program, retrofit our con convention center and the Bradley terminal at LAX to meet LEED standards. We've adopted a clean air action plan um, at the port of Los Angeles, the area's greatest economic engine, to try to turn it into our strongest green asset. And that's why just a few weeks ago, we rolled out a solar LA plan to spur the growth of the green economy by getting DWP to get 10% of its power from solar energy by 2020. We're going to secure our energy future with local resources and translate um, what's usually our most abundant natural resource, you can tell from the last couple of days, uh, into the centerpiece for green development. And when we look at sort of how do we create and stimulate the green economy as a city, we really have to look at what assets the city has in its, uh, available to it and in its tool chest uh, to, to spur the growth of the green economy. We can, as a city, create good public policy. Policies who pro whose primary goal is environmental, but also can help us build the green economy. So renewable energy and solar energy are great examples of that. Trying to bring the investment local, encouraging local manufacture of green technology. The Port of Los Angeles, um, through its technology advancement program, is making investments in companies that will create technology to clean up the port and also manufacture it here in Los Angeles act as a platform to test new technologies all across the city, whether it's in a public works, uh, at DWP, at the airport, at the port, all over the city, we've been testing out new technologies. Um, even at DOT, which runs the DASH buses, and um, working with clean transportation startups uh, to improve our transportation system. We can leverage the city's purchasing ability um, we've adopted a green procurement policy for the city, but also uh, as DWP buys power, we'll buy green power. Um, as the port seeks to implement the Clean Air Action Plan, we'll do it with green technologies. So we have lots of opportunities uh, through our procurement. We also have some unique assets here in Los Angeles, not just the fact that we own the utility and we own the airport and we own the port, but for example, the city through the Community Redevelopment Agency owns one of the largest pieces of un un unimproved and undeveloped industrial land available for redevelopment. And they're turning it into a clean 
tech manufacturing center and a clean tech corridor along the Los Angeles River. And we can promote and advocate for the Los Angeles region to make people think of Los Angeles as a center for the green economy in the same way that we think of Silicon Valley as the high-tech center. So this is a, an exciting uh, day, an exciting moment in our history, um, and, a, and an exciting time to be working on these issues. And uh, I think we have a, a great program uh, lined up for this afternoon. And uh, all of you who live here in Los Angeles, you know, we're ready to lead. This is gonna be a community effort, and we, we all have to work together at it. And we can be the model for the rest of the nation on how to transform our economy into a green economy. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Nancy. Well, we're so sorry to see you leave Los Angeles. We're looking very much forward to the leadership that you're going to bring to Washington, D.C. My name is Anna Solner, and on behalf of the Center for American Progress in our California office, I'd like to welcome you to this afternoon's program. We're thrilled to be joining the Horizon Institute again to um, bring, collaborate on programs and to bring together a fascinating group of people to talk about the way in which our economy is going to be transformed in the century. Before I bring up um, Van Jones and Mary Nichols to the stage, I just wanted to give you a flavor for the kinds of things that the Center for American Progress has put on its wish list in a season of wish lists. Um, we are recently, or excuse me, releasing today um, a top 10 list of things that we think the Obama administration can do uh, right when it gets into office that's, that are going to help to pave the way to really transform not only our environment but our economy. And the first thing, of course, is signing the waiver request by the state of California to let it adopt greenhouse gas emission reduction standards for motor vehicles. California has led the way in terms of promoting this, um, these emission reductions, and 16 states have signed on, and this is something that we can do right out of the box. We also want to include $10 billion of clean energy programs as part of the economic stimulus package and recovery package. We also believe that there should be an adoption of federal renewable energy standards that require utilities to do the very thing on a national scale that LA is doing right now. And finally, we think there's, there's a list of 10, but I'm just going to share the ones that are most relevant in ways in which LA and California have really um, shown the way for the rest of the country. And that is to establish a federal program to modernize the electricity grid so that it can more efficiently and effectively transmit power generation from renewable sources to urban areas. So with that, I'd like to invite Mary Nichols and Van Jones to the stage. As they're coming up onto the stage, let me introduce them quickly. Van Jones is the president and founder of Green for All, based out of Oakland, California, and a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. He is the author of the New York Times best-selling book, The Green Collar Economy. 
For those of you not familiar with um, Green for All, it is an organization that promotes green collar jobs and opportunities for the disadvantaged. Its mission is to build an inclusive green economy strong enough to resolve the ecological crisis while lifting millions of people out of poverty. We are also joined by Mary Nichols, who is the, currently the chair of the California Air Resources Board, where she returned after serving there um, under the, the auspices of Governor Jerry Brown. Nichols has devoted her entire career in public and private not-for-profit service for, in advocating for the environment and public health. In addition to her work on the Air Board, she's held a number of senior positions in the Clinton administration and at UCLA. Please join me in welcoming them once again. my turn. Um, well, first of all, I just want to say how happy I am to see everybody uh, at the end of the best year ever. Um, and simultaneously, the worst year ever. Uh, it's the kind of year that, it, that it's been. I want to thank the Center for American Progress, where I'm proud to be a, a, a senior fellow, and also want to thank Horizon and uh, honor my, my colleagues as well. Um, I want to talk about, uh, since the uh, context here has been spoken to so well, I want to take a few steps back, talk a little bit about the bigger picture, talk about where we're going, and uh, underscore the fact that this really has been the best and the worst year ever. How many people, now y'all can be honest, I know y'all trying to be cute, we're in Los Angeles, nobody wants to lose any face. Uh, but let's be honest, how many people the night Barack Obama won for president just made a fool of yourself, boo-hoo sobbing, just <laughs> crying, slinging snot everywhere, traumatized your children? How many people just traumatized your kids? Uh, I have a four-year-old son, he said, Mama, what is history and why does it make daddy cry? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, out of the mouth of babes. So that, that was an incredible moment, tears of joy. But a week earlier, there were tears too, all across the country. And they weren't tears of joy. And there have been tears since. People are losing their homes. People who've worked hard every day. Sometimes two jobs losing their pensions, losing their 401ks, people losing their jobs. So how do we hold that as a movement? Many of us here have been working for a long time to get to a position where maybe something good could happen. And just as we get here, just as, 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 as the skies open up, the floor collapses out from under us. How do we hold that? And, and, and how do we fly now when so much has been torn away? I would make the following argument. The last 30 years of economic policy in this country, notice I did not say the last eight, okay? Notice the last 30, uh, uh, 
the economic theory that got us into this much trouble was too complicated for George Bush to think up by himself, okay? <laughs> this is not all George Bush's fault. And we're gonna have to start realizing that and stepping forward. You know, we've had the past eight years, we got a chance to just spend, you know, and for eight years, you know, everything that was wrong, we got a chance to blame one guy, you know? Uh, and we got a little bit lazy, I think. You know, I mean, I saw people like, I, look, I've got, a, I've got a pimple. I never had acne, acne like this before that Bush came into office, you know? It's like every problem is George Bush. Uh, the reality is for the past 30 years, we've been going the wrong direction. And the reason that we have started to fall is because our economic philosophy was based on three fallacies. And those three fallacies have caused us to fall. I want to talk about those three fallacies while we're falling. And I also want to talk about three proposals that will help us to fly. Because the floor that fell out from under us uh, does imperil us all. But we also went into ballot, the ballot boxes and ballot booths, and we took the ceiling off too. And so we can fly or fall, it's up to us. Why are we falling? We're falling because, first of all, both political parties for the past 30 years sold us on the idea that we could run our economy based on consumption more than production. Consumption more than production. So we don't need factories here. We don't need blue collar jobs here. We don't need to manufacture anything here. We'll send all those jobs overseas, and God bless those countries, and we'll run our economy based on going to the mall, right? Shopping online, uh, consuming stuff, right? And for the past several years, we have been consuming four, five, six percent more than we've been producing here. That, by definition, is not sustainable. You can't go on doing that forever. But we both political parties says, hey, this is great. We'll call it globalization. We'll call it, you know, whatever. And we'll all go for it. And that was, it turned out to be a fallacy. Number two, that we could run the economy forever based on credit, based on borrowing, based on debt, rather than based on smart savings and thrift like our grandparents, right? Now, I don't care who you are. If your great-grandmother were to come back now and look at your credit card statement versus your savings account, you would get a whooping or you would be in timeout or whatever is culturally appropriate for you, okay? You would be in trouble. But it wasn't just you. The whole country, we built the thing up on credit cards. And the idea that we could go on forever running the economy, not based on building, but based on borrowing. Not based on US creativity, but based on overseas credit. That we could do that forever was also a fallacy. And it turns out you can't build an economy on credit cards forever, and we're now paying the price. And the third fallacy was this. The idea that we could run the economy forever based on ecological destruction rather than ecological restoration. That we could just go on taking, turning beautiful living things into dead products and trying to get them into incinerators and landfills as quickly as possible, so people have to go do it again, and we call that economic growth, right? Take beautiful living stuff, kill it, turn it into, into waste, burn it, and do it again over and over again, that's called growth. And then don't count what counts. Leave carbon off the books. Carbon is free to dump out the back of your car or out the back of an airplane or out of a smokestack, free to dump. But it's gonna cost us the whole planet. It's called a market failure. <laughs> um, so those were the fallacies. Consumption over production, debt 
over smart savings and thrift, and ecological destruction rather than ecological restoration. That is the economy that we built up, and that is the economy that just crashed. That is the economy that is falling down all around us. That's the bad news. That's why we've been falling. The question is, how do we fly? And the way that we fly is very simple. We create the economy that's a mirror image. We go back to local production. We go back to smart savings and thrift. And we focus on ecological restoration. That is the definition of the green economy. The green economy as the anchor, the cornerstone for the next American economy. Not just some eco-chic thing, right? Or some eco-freak thing, for those of us from close to Berkeley, right? <laughs> That's important, you know, we need that. Uh, but the idea that the green economy was just gonna be a place for people who were either economically different enough from most Americans, i.e. wealthy, or culturally different enough uh, for most Americans, uh, i.e. freaky uh, and hippie, right? that you would have this, that would be the green economy, and the rest of the economy would go on, and we just have this green thing as an alternative. Alternative you know, models. That is off the table. The green economy now must become not just a place for affluent people to spend more money, it now has to become the place for ordinary people to earn more money, and for low-income people to save money. That is the next step in this movement to green the economy, and Los Angeles has been a key leader in driving this process forward. Now, the reason this is so critical is because we have got to produce something in this country. We've got to get back to local production. What can we produce here? What can we produce here? One thing we can produce in the United States that we have not been producing is clean energy. We have not been producing clean energy, and we have not been manufacturing those things like wind turbines, like solar panels, that will let us tap that clean energy. Understand that we have a Saudi Arabia of clean energy in this country, a Saudi Arabia of wind energy in our plain states right now. There's enough wind resources in this country in terms of our plain states to run the country right now. There, we have a Saudi Arabia of solar power in the Sun Belt right now. There's enough solar energy to run a big part of the country. But here's what we don't have in this country. Here's why we're suffering. Here's why the cl climate is suffering. Here's why our economy is suffering. Here's why we're getting bogged down in wars over oil and, and other resources. Here's why the Pentagon is spending trillions of dollars policing oil lines all around the planet. We simply do not have the ability to connect those clean energy power centers to our population centers. That's all. That's all. If we could connect our clean energy power centers to our population centers, we could run the country on clean energy. Now, why is that such an important thing for us to hold on to? It's important because there's a city you may have heard of called Detroit that is suffering. I was just there 10 days ago. It has become the New Orleans of the new century in terms of the level of economic devastation. You saw New Orleans underwater and your heart broke because you saw people drowning on live television and getting no help. We now have 
a city drowning. We have people drowning on dry land, economically. You drive down street after street after street of abandoned, empty home with the, with the glass stolen, not broken, stolen. The, 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 the copper stripped out. And then the question is, do we put $15 billion on the table so they can maybe someday make a, 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 an SUV that's 2% more energy efficient and hope somebody buys it? This is how our mental imagination has been shrunken. The right question for us to ask and answer is, what are we going to do with our industrial capacity in this country? If we're going to have to bail it out, if we're going to have to spend the money, what do we need it for? The last time I checked, General Motors wasn't General Cars or General SUVs, General Motors. What kind of motors do we need in the new century now? Right? What about wind turbines? Now, some of you think wind turbines, you know, I know what you're thinking, you're thinking windmills, you know. Like from like, you know, when you're like a little kid, you know, a little windmill. And, you know, no, we're not talking about your mama's windmill. Wind turbines. Think Boeing-level engineering. Think a jet engine in the sky that could turn a breeze into power. 8,000 finely machined parts in each wind turbine. That's a car. Each wind tower, 20 tons of steel. You could put your automakers back to work and your steel makers back to work building wind turbines that will save the earth, not SUVs that will destroy the earth. That's the kind of bailout that we need for the people and the planet. You see, that's the way forward. That's the way forward. So we're at this turning point where we've got to produce something. Why not produce clean energy? And why not produce all of the component parts? See, a wind turbine is heavy. It makes a lot of sense to build it close to where you're going to put it up. You see? Uh, there is an opportunity here as we build the green economy to have an anchor and a cornerstone for the next American economy. What else could we do? What else could we do? How else could we fly? I'll tell you how else we could fly. It's not just about creating more new, clean sources of energy. That's important. But it's also about wasting less energy. And that's been the genius here in Los Angeles, focusing on retrofitting the existing buildings. People say, you know, but then, that's boring, right? It's like, you know, we talk about the green economy. People are like, yeah, you know, green economy, like new space age technology with like solar zapier things, man, and like people with jetpacks and doing stuff with the beams of light, man. Like <laughs> green space rays. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. The, the, the number one piece of high-tech space-age equipment that we need right now is not a ray gun, it's a caulk gun, right? A caulk gun. We could put hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, to work right now retrofitting our existing buildings. And why not? Our construction workers, folks coming home from wars, prisons, they're not going to build anything in this country for the next 12 months, the next 24 months, the next 36 months. Well, maybe they can't build anything. Well, let them rebuild everything. 
Let them go and blow in that clean, non-toxic insulation so we can leak less energy. Why is that so important? Let them double pane the glass. Let's create 100,000 new glazers to go out and double pane every window in America. Let them replace those ill-fitting doors. Let them break out the caulk guns. Let them take those old boilers that have been in the houses for 20, 30 years that are so inefficient and replace them with those new, clean, uh, efficient, super efficient boilers and furnaces. Or even better yet, go with uh, geothermal. Why is that so important? It's so important because a drafty building, which is where low-income people tend to live, by the way, a drafty building makes for chilly people, but it makes for a hot, overheated planet because those power stations burning all that coal have to work overtime to heat all those and cool all those inefficient buildings. 40% uh, of your greenhouse gas problem is not cars, it's buildings. Think about that. You only drive for a little bit. Well, in, LA, in Los Angeles, y'all drive a lot. But most places, you're only in your car a little bit. You're in your house all the time with those lights on, those laptop computers, et cetera. And that, if it's coal-fired power, uh, power is adding to global warming. Well, 40% of your problem for global warming, of our problem for global warming, buildings. You can get a 30% reduction right now in wasted energy with off-the-shelf technology, giving people green hard hats and tool belts and work boots and sending them out to retrofit and fix America. That is the new environmentalism. Talk about Joe Sixpack. Talk about Joe the solar guy, right? Talk about Joe the retrofitter. And, and, and talk about Rosie the Riveter making all the component parts now. That's the direction that we need to go in. So you can repower America with clean energy and put people back to work. And you can retrofit America with our existing workforce and existing technology and get tremendous reductions in carbon emissions. You bring your carbon emissions down when you retrofit, but guess what? You bring your building values up, home values up. You bring unemployment down, but you bring your air quality up. See. Green solutions now are not just for the eco-chic. This has got to be the cornerstone for the economic recovery. And I'll say this in closing. California has got to continue to lead. We're losing all our geniuses, you know? Obama just come and get everybody, you know? <laughs> I'm like, man. Hilda Solis, if you don't know, Hilda Solis, if you don't spoil it, let me, let me say it, let me say the whole thing. Don't, don't spoil it, y'all NPR listening to people. Hold on. <laughs> Hilda Solis, environmental champion. Hilda Solis, social justice champion. Hilda Solis, a voice for labor. The author of the Green Jobs Act of 2007, the only green jobs legislation ever to pass the U.S. Congress, just got named Secretary of Labor by Barack Obama. <laughs> That's California. That's California. That's California. So California, we look out at the country, hopeful and hurting. Hurting and hopeful. What's been happening in Los Angeles, the, the retrofitting of a country whose GDP City and County of LA GDP, bigger than the whole country of India, beginning to move in this direction, pulling California in the right direction, along with Northern California, pulling it, and now pulling 
on the imagination of Barack Obama, what we are doing here in California can not only save the polar bears, which is important, I love them, don't want to hug them, <laughs> pet them, but can save the polar bears, we can save poor folks, fight pollution and poverty at the same time, we can save the earth, but we can also be the powerhouse that powers this country out of this recovery, out of this recession, and makes the United States go from being the world leader in pollution to the world leader in solutions. Let's get busy. Thank you. Uh, watching TV uh, here in Los Angeles with my son and daughter-in-law and 13-month-old uh, granddaughter and a bunch of friends of their generation, I too was overcome uh, by the news that we had actually won the election and that the magnitude of change that uh, president-elect, I'm really getting tired of that elect. <laughs> Can you just drop that now? Uh, that president-elect Obama has been talking about might actually come to pass. And after all of the exhilaration and the joy, uh, what came to me, and I'm afraid maybe to a lot of people, at least of my generation, was also um, a little bit of fear and it wasn't just fear about um, what might happen to this incredible person, given the history of uh, violence and uh, what, uh, some of what occurred even during the course of the campaign. It was a different kind of fear about whether our country was really ready to not just accept or have change done to it, but actually do the kind of work that was gonna be necessary to make the change a reality because electing one person, even with all the people, I believe it's up to 700 that a president gets to appoint and bring into office uh, with him, is not gonna do what it takes to realize the vision that uh, Van has just so beautifully laid out for us. And so I guess my job in a way is to be uh, a little bit of the downer, but I hope not to leave you on a down note, I hope to leave you on an up note about what I think we can be doing uh, together to uh, turn our best wishes into, into realities. It's my job to uh, carry out the uh, law that California passed in 2006 called the Global Warming Solutions Act of 2006 from my post at the Air Resources Board. AB 32 was a um, noble, uh, a noble uh, statement of a, of a goal, but it was more than just a goal. It was actually a legal mandate for the state of California to reduce its emissions of six major components of global warming to 1990 levels by the year 2020. And my job is to put together the plan for how to do that and then make sure that that plan happens. And we did just this past uh, week actually adopt the plan and it got a lot of publicity, there's a lot of, a lot of fanfare, um, a lot of uh, work went into it, about two years worth of hearings and workshops, thousands and thousands of comments from members of the public, ranging from postcards and emails to 
really substantial uh, contributions that people from uh, all parts of our state made about what they wanted to see in the plan and how they wanted it to be done. And at the end of the day, we came up with a plan to, between now and the year 2020, take about 174 million metric tons of greenhouse gases out of our atmosphere through a whole bunch of different measures, uh, biggest and most important of which was the one that was referred to at the very outset, uh, which is our uh, standards for emissions from automobiles and light trucks, which we are expecting very shortly to get approval from our, uh, our new government to enforce. The rules are in effect, they're ready to go, the companies know what they have to do to meet them, uh, but they're not able to be enforced because we need a waiver from US EPA and uh, we're delighted to um, be now in a position where we can count on that waiver coming and begin to actually put that program into, into place. But um, we know that programs like that and programs to mandate more energy efficiency at individual sources and our low carbon fuel standard and uh, a whole bunch of source specific measures uh, are not enough to do the job. As uh, various people have said in one way or another, we got to mobilize the capital to fundamentally transform our energy system and our transportation system. And we're broke right now. We don't have the money to invest in anything. Um, you know, it's a, it's a miracle if we're going to be able to patch our budget together sufficiently in this state so that our treasurer can go out and sell bonds on Wall Street to finance the um, package of infrastructure improvements that the people have already voted on. Not to do anything new and exciting, but just to do the stuff that we're already committed to do. Uh, we don't have the money to do. Well, there is money out there in the world. Um, maybe we need to crank up the printing presses a little faster, but um, what we really need to do is to take it from the wrong places and put it in the right places. That's kind of a simple, simple way to put it. And so what we have to do is put a price on carbon. And the way that we propose to do it in our plan is not one that everybody, including me, is 100% happy about. Um, and I'll tell you why in a second and what the other options are that people have come up with. Uh, but however it is you do it, unless you can find a way to make carbon a commodity that has a value which can be priced and which people have to pay for if they want to extract it, burn it, dispose of it, use it, there is no way that anybody has been able to come up with that you can achieve the levels of money that we're going to need to make these new kinds of investments. So the basic approaches that people have proposed are either a tax on the carbon, this is what Al Gore proposed uh, way back when and got laughed out before it even ever got submitted as a bill to Congress, but a simple kind of an upstream tax on carbon or you can do something which is what the environmental community has been pushing and what President-elect Obama endorsed in the course of the campaign, which is a cap on carbon, uh, and then uh, auction the allowances to use that carbon and take the revenue that way. The, there are good and legitimate ways to debate about which of those is the best to do. Most people think that the cap was primarily a, a good idea 
because you can legislate the amount of carbon that you're willing to have allowed used, uh, the amount of allowances that you're going to be willing to have out there in the economy, and you don't have to worry about ratcheting that all the time because you just put that into the law, and then the, the market takes care of what the price is going to be. With a tax, you know what the price is going to be, but somebody has to keep ratcheting the price in order to make sure you're actually getting reductions. For example, uh, British Columbia just adopted a carbon uh, tax uh, last year, but after all the politicking was done, the amount of the tax was so low that even the people who fought for it admit that it's not going to actually do anything to change behavior. All it's going to do is raise some revenue, not that we couldn't use the revenue. But if we're really talking about making a transformation happen, you've got to figure out how to, how to make it significant enough, ratchet it in uh, over enough time so that people can adjust, but you've got to do it. These are huge, big, bold changes in the way we do business in our country, in our state. And we in, we in our scoping plan just said, we're going to do this, and we're going to have it in effect by 2012. We did not try to lay out all the details about how it's going to work. Who's going to conduct the auction? Are we going to allow trading with other states? Are we going to put a separate tax on trades that would benefit local communities so you can deal with the concerns about potentially uh, aggregating too many emitting sources in one place? How much are we going to allow people to comply by buying offsets from other places because it's a global pollutant that we're dealing with, not a localized pollutant? These are all questions that basically we still have to work out and that we need help from the kinds of people who are in this room uh, to turn into a reality. One of the things, though, that I am uh, proud of in the plan is that uh, we basically stole uh, and we're proud of it. We stole good ideas from wherever we could get them. And um, one of the places we stole ideas from uh, were the folks at the uh, Labor uh, Center at Berkeley who gave us some ideas about how to do more than what uh, ARB, my agency, has ever done in the past in terms of thinking about the implications of these programs, not just for whether we're going to get the tons out of the air or what the cost of that was going to be, because we're pretty good. We have economists who can calculate cost effectiveness and cost benefit numbers. They're, they may be controversial, but they, they have their models and their methodologies, and they're, and they're good at this stuff. What we don't really have much expertise in at all is in the area of workforce development, training, uh, education, what kinds of skills are going to be needed in the future to work in the kinds of high-tech jobs that we're uh, uh, hypothesizing, that we're assuming, that we're working to try to make happen. And we know we need help to make that, uh, to make that into a reality. Um, we are siloed in government. There's no question about it. Everybody has their own specific area of mandates. And we are trying, as a result of the, of the new uh, set of uh, responsibilities that AB 32 has given us, to reach out into other parts of state government, other nations, as well as uh, our national government, and learn uh, from them about what, is, what are the best ideas out there that could be brought back to the state but we recognize it's not going to be up to us completely to implement these things. We're going to have to rely on other agencies. We're going to have to rely on the legislature in many instances to add to uh, existing authorities that aren't there right now or to wipe out some of the really terrible disincentives that exist to doing the right thing. 
in the whole area of energy efficiency, just to give one example, um, and I, I encountered this when I was at the University of California working on sustainability issues with students and faculty there as well. Um, our budget comes in two pots. There's capital money, and then there's operation and maintenance money. The two don't connect with each other. If somebody has to spend a little bit more up front uh, on the capital side to build a green building, and that will save money over a many year period, um, the budgeting rules that are applied by the legislature and by um, our Department of Finance and others require that unless that extra increment is gonna be paid back in three years, you can't do it. Now, I think that buildings that are being built by the state of California are gonna be around for more than three years. I'm just hoping, uh, but I, it's a little more than hope. I mean, we've got pretty good evidence to show that um, government is gonna be here for decades to come, and the buildings we built are meant to be here for decades to come, and yet we cannot finance changes that we know are cost effective because we can't translate dollars from the capital program side into the operation and maintenance side of the budget. That is a fundamental issue, and it's fought at every step of the way uh, by, the, by the budget experts, who, because they live at a cash flow, year at a time kind of budget, and they can't think longer term. So we're our own, we're our own enemy uh, when it comes to trying to make those kinds of, of changes happen. Maybe as part of a stimulus package, maybe as part of uh, bailing our way out of the really terrible economic mess we're in right now, we could get a little tweak, just a little change in the budget language that could, that could uh, make a big difference in the long-term future of the kinds of uh, green jobs that we're talking about. So anyway, we wrote into the plan a focus on workforce development and jobs. We didn't say we knew how to do it. We just said that we thought that revenues that uh, came in as a result of the uh, CAP program and the auctioning of allowances needed to be targeted uh, in that area. We know that there are existing programs out there. Nancy Sutley referred to uh, Mayor Villaraigosa's Green Jobs Campaign uh, as, as uh, one example of leadership, but there are other cities around the state and around the country that have programs at the local level where frequently you see some of the best models for actually getting buildings retrofitted and for getting people out into the communities delivering the kinds of energy efficiency services that right now the utilities talk about but that we're just not getting to as many places as we need them to actually uh, go. But when it comes to things like career and technical education or changing the curriculum in the public schools to make sure that there is a pipeline of skilled workers available for these kinds of jobs, you know, the Air Resources Board doesn't have the answers to that. Um, there are folks out there, I think, who have a lot more of the answers than we do, but we need to be bringing them into the discussion, and they're not really at the table right now. We have to make sure that our higher education system not only has the, has the mission, but has the, uh, has the band-aid coming from the state to be focusing on engineers and scientists who have the kinds of um, know-how to develop the products, the business schools, um, you know, at uh, UCLA, again, to cite my former institution, I guess I'm on leave, I'm still there, but technically, um, the, uh, the business school was um, filled with students who wanted to become 
green entrepreneurs, people who were eager to go out and start businesses or start nonprofits that would be focused directly on the issues that we're talking about here today. There was one professor in the business school who taught one course that was relevant to what they were trying to do. And the whole idea of sustainability was completely out of fashion. I don't know, maybe the change in Wall Street is going to make a difference and maybe there will be a new generation of academics coming along with a different focus, but I, I don't think we can count on it. I think these are changes that we're going to have to um, make ourselves happen. The governor just signed uh, AB 3018 by former Assembly Speaker Fabian Nunez, which established the Green Collar Jobs Council to develop a comprehensive array of programs, strategies, and resources to address these workforce needs that are going to come along with the new green economy. It's right now, it's a great piece of legislation, but it has to be turned into reality. And it's not going to actually turn into reality without people getting the right kinds of appointments, without people coming forth with the ideas and the programs that can actually get funded, get implemented, and start to happen. There's a big disconnect, I think, between the energy and the knowledge and enthusiasm that exists at the grassroots level and the NGO communities in a lot of our uh, private sector enterprises uh, at local government level and the state, and an even bigger gulf between the state and the federal government when it comes to actually having the flow of wisdom and energy and ideas that we need to have happen. The appointments that have been announced to date um, by President-elect Obama are thrilling. I mean, they really, we, we really couldn't ask for people who have a better grounding in what, in what needs to be done. But they are not going to be able to do this job by themselves. And it's going to become very hard for them. I can speak from experience, having served in the Clinton administration at EPA. Once you get there inside that beltway, there's like a glass curtain that comes up and you know your phone gets, your calls get screened by 17 people and you stop being able to answer your emails and mostly you stop being able to think because you're so busy implementing the assignments that were handed to you, just carrying out the stuff that you've been given to do and you know, plus we do have to shovel our way out of a lot of bad stuff that was adopted in the last eight years. Um, you know, a lot of regs are going to have to be repealed or overturned in order to make progress possible. Um, they're going to need our help. They really, really are going to need our help. Um, not only telling them what to do, but just doing it ourselves and then telling them about it afterwards. So, um, <laughs> I, I want to thank all of you who are here. I want to particularly acknowledge, I know they were mentioned before, but the Community College uh, District has just done an awesome job with their green programs. Just amazing. And, you know, God bless Woody Clark, who used to come and beat up on me and my fellow members of the DWP board when I was on that commission because our programs weren't working right to give them the incentives that they needed. But they've still gone ahead and done it anyway, um, you know, with their rolling out of their building programs and what they're doing with the curriculum. Uh, it's really phenomenal. So um, let's give ourselves all a little bit of a pat on the back as well and move on. Thank you. At this point in the program, we'd really welcome your questions. There are two mics here and here, and so um, please feel free to